In this season of our Bible class, I've been attempting to show you that the book of Revelation is not just the fifth book that, uh, that John wrote. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. A lot of people believe Revelation is the fifth book authored by John. But the truth is Revelation is in fact the only book written by the Lord himself. And uh, you only have to look at the very first verse of the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him or gave unto John to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel and unto his servant, John. The word revelation in English is a, is a Greek word, uh, apocalypsis, which is where we get the word apocalypse. The word apocalypse just means unveiling. It's like Christmas. It's uh, the unwrapping, the revealing, or the revelation. Not of John, but of the Lord himself. Listen to these verses in the beginning. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. When you read those first chapters of Genesis, they're given to us in past tense. And the reason for that is because there are three words in the English language that can only be used to describe God. Omni, which means all. Omnipotent, omnipotent, all power. Omniscience or omniscience. All knowledge. And uh, omnipresent, which means, which means that he spans all three time-space relations at the same time. Past, present, future. That's why the Bible refers to him as the God that was, the God that is, the God that is to come. It's, of course, Wednesday evening about 7.15 or so right now, probably 7.30. I don't know. 7.30. You and I are limited to living in the dimension of right now. <clears throat> However, the God that we serve is Tuesday and Thursday at the same time, he's Wednesday. He is November and December and January at the same time. The God that we serve can look at the dashboard, through the windshield, and in the rearview mirror all at the same time. He's presently in the present, but he's presently in the past. He's presently in the future. That's why it says in Romans Chapter 4 and verse 17. He calleth things that are not as though they are. Because to him, they are. He just am. That's why again in the Bible, again and again, he, he said, you tell them the I am has sent you. And um, that's why these verses in Genesis 1 and 2, 1, of course, gives all seven days. Chapter two amplifies the sixth day. They're given to us in past tense, even though much of that was yet to happen because his creation is finished, but his work is not done. Okay? To create is a Hebrew word bara, which means to plan <clears throat> but uh, I'm not talking about creation. I'm talking about his work. And uh, um, the last book in the Bible is the Lord explaining to John what he has yet to accomplish. And that's why I'm convinced these seven churches in chapters 2 and 3 in Revelation are not just seven churches that existed years ago in what is known as Asia Minor, a place about the size of Indiana. 
But these seven churches are given by the Lord to John in a very specific order to teach us at least two things. I'm sure there's more, but at least two things. It's obvious that these seven churches existed simultaneously in the first century. And these seven churches can exist simultaneously today. (laughs) And uh, the second thing is the Lord used the climate and the culture of these seven churches, I believe, to show the seasons that the church would go through between its beginning or its genesis in the book of Acts to the end of the church age. And uh, that's why I've done what I could in these lessons to kind of parse and show the seasons that the church has gone through from its birth in Acts chapter 2 until the present day. The beginning of the church is best described as Ephesus. Unto the church in Ephesus, right? That's the way the Lord started. For years, I have told you that I personally believe the book of direction in the Old Testament is the book of Joshua. Um, The book of Joshua uh, comprises seven years of time. And in those seven years, seven seven nations were conquered. 31 kings were defeated. 10,000 miles of very choice real estate was won. Seven years of unbridled success. They were outnumbered, but they were never outpowered. They were under-equipped, but they, they were never overwhelmed. They were the unlikely but unquestionable conquerors of some of the most barbaric armies the world ever knew. If it had been a prize fight, I think the ref would have called it in the first round. And I've always trusted the Bible for several reasons, but one of the most prominent reasons besides prophecy, there's no, no, no other book in literature that would dare go on a, out on a limb like the Bible has. These, these prophecies are stunning. The way they were spoken, the way they've come to pass, the, 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 the chances of them being right were, I don't think you could calculate those odds. And uh, another reason that I trust the Bible is it doesn't hide the flaws of its heroes. Most most books. (laughs) Uh, I remember uh, reading Richard Nixon's autobiography and uh, how easily he explained away Watergate. Just hard for President Nixon to just belly up to the bar and admit, I messed up. I lied and uh, said the American people have the right to know if their president is a crook. I am not a crook. Yes, he was. And uh, if it wasn't for the next guy that followed him from Michigan, Mr. Nixon might have known some striped sunshine. And uh, um, and it sure doesn't cover the problems of his people. Abraham had too many wives. Jacob told too many lies. Esau sold his birthright. Joseph's brother sold Joseph. 400 years in Egypt was followed by 40 years of wandering. And then later, 70 years in captivity in Babylon. They, they built two temples only to lose both of them. They were given the most unique, most powerful piece of furniture in the history of the world and 
We still don't know what happened to it. Babylon built her cities. Greece flexed her muscles. Rome stretched her empire. And Israel, well, in the school of ancient societies, she was the kid with the black eye that always got beat up with the, by the bullies, except for those seven years in the book of Joshua. And if you're a reader of the Bible, I want you to understand that those seven years, are the, they are the hyphen between the difficult days of Exodus and, and the dark days of the judges that followed Joshua. Moses had just died and they were starting their next decade as hitchhikers, Bedouins, wanderers. And somewhere around 1400 BC, God spoke and Joshua listened. Jordan River opened up. Jericho and her famous walls fell down. The sun stood still. The kings of Canaan were forced into early retirement. And by the end of this time, these hopeless wanderers had become hope-filled homesteaders. They built farms, villages, vineyards. They had such accomplishments. Listen to the last three verses of the book of Joshua. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he swore to give unto their fathers. And they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he swore unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. I like that. The Lord gave them all the land. He gave them rest. Everything he said that was going to happen took place. And those seven amazing years covered in the book of Joshua. There, to me, there's nothing like it anywhere else in the Old Testament. And in the same way the book of Joshua is the book of direction for the Old Testament, I personally believe the book of Ephesians is the book of direction for the New Testament. Every other letter or epistle that you find in the New Testament, there, somewhere in there, there's a rebuke, there's a caution, there's a warning, but not, not the six chapters in the book of Ephesians. Every chapter is rich with revelatory insight. The Ephesian church was the Corinthian church on steroids. And this is why I say that. Because in the first chapter to the first letter to the Corinthian church, Paul said, you come behind in no gift. You got them all. All the gifts of the Spirit, you got them. But listen to what he said two chapters later in chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. For you are, you're still carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? For one saith, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Paulus. And, you know, I, 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 I like Peter. You know, he preaches about hogs and dogs. He just gets down there to where you live. And someone else says, yeah, but my guy, my guy's Apollos. Apollos, he can dip his tongue in a rainbow and, Wow, is he in order? And others say, no, I, I'm going to stick with the old man, Paul. And Paul was saying, is Christ divided? What, what is it with you and all your favorite preachers? No wonder he rebuked them in this famous chapter. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I'm become as 
Just a lot of noise, sounding brass and a, a, a cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. He went on to say, you can even give your body to be burned. Doesn't matter. He said, you're missing. I mean, this is the church. He said, you come behind in no gift. But he said, you're not spiritual people. You're carnal. Because you don't have charity. Charity. Love. Not the love for God. The love of God. In other words, God flowing through you. You're a conduit. You're a channel. A pipe. I I don't want to get sidetracked with this because I, I may do it next week or the week after, but when you, when, you, when you study the tabernacle of Moses in the Old Testament, there was a gate that got you into the front yard that was called the outer court. It's where the brazen altar was and the, the laver of water. Inside of that fenced off piece of property was a tent that was divided into two apartments, two rooms. Two thirds of that tent was given for something called the holy place. You had to go through the door to get into the tent. But then in the back third of the tent was a veil that got you into the holy of holies. You got a gate, you got a door, you got a veil. Bible says that when Jesus was crucified, the veil between the holy place and the holy of holies ripped from the top to the bottom. Not from the bottom to the top. Maybe that could have been explained away. It's not in the Bible, but one of the, whatever, uh, stories from the rabbis, everything called a Talmud. They're not biblical, but they are teachings of rabbis. Rabbis taught that two sets of cows, if they could be hitched two opposite ends of the veil, couldn't pull that veil apart. But when Jesus died, that that curtain was ripped from the top to the bottom. Which is really amazing, see, because there's no holy place after that. It's all holy of holies. You got that? But the only one that benefited from that were the priests that were ministering in the holy place. It was not the ones in the outer court. There's, there's no place in the Bible that talks about the, the door to the, to the holy place was blown open. And, and there's no Bible for the gate to the outer court was blown down. But there is Bible for the veil which separated the holy place from the holy of holies was torn from the top to the bottom. What in the world are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about the only ones that benefited from that were the priests that were ministering in the holy place. Nobody else got to see that. I don't have time to explain this to you, but the light's in the presence. When Moses got in the presence of the Lord and he came out of that, he was shining. Here's what I'm trying to show you. Jesus is gone. The world's not going to see Jesus. The only hope that the world has of seeing Jesus is you and me. Shining. Because we got in his presence. Bible said in Revelation chapter one, he has made us kings and priests. Peter said, you are a royal priesthood, peculiar people, holy nation. What are you saying? I'm saying that's not gonna happen anywhere else but in the church. If we are supposed to be the priest, Bible said something needs to stand between the altar and the porch. The altar's where the Lord was, the porch is where the people was. The prophet said, 
I'm going to stand between the porch and the altar. That's the job of the priest. We as the church are the priesthood of God. We're supposed to be the go-between, the hinge between God who can't be seen and the world who can be seen. They're not going to see Jesus. Jesus is gone. They're going to have to see Jesus in us. In order for that to happen, Bible said, you are the light of the world. In order for that to happen, we have to be the conduit. We have to be the channel. We have to be the pipe for God to manifest himself through the church to the world. That's why it says in the book of Acts, and when they saw the boldness, the bold, you got to Peter and John, these are, these are dumb fishermen. They, they might have been to the third grade, man. I, I was just in Ohio a couple of days ago. When was I there? Saturday. And I was around the Amish people and the, the, the boy, their kids, they were explaining to me, you know, Amish kids only go to the eighth grade and that's it. Do you know that Amish kids don't get paid a dime for their work until they're 21? Any money they make until they're 21 goes to their mom and dad. Hot dog. I love that doctrine. <laughs> it's just, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant, they took knowledge of them. They'd been with Jesus. And it doesn't matter how unlearned and ignorant you might be. You get around the Lord. <laughs> you get around him. This is what the Bible says. He loves to take the simple and confound the wise. He loves to take the weak and confound the strong. Let's admit it, ladies and gentlemen. There's no one dumber than us. There's no one more simple-minded than us. There's no one more unlearned and ignorant than us. Great, we're perfect candidates for God to use. Don't be full of your, if you got, I, we, our kids, I'm grateful. Kids are going to college, I get it, but I've said it for years. Get an education and then get over it because you're not gonna get a degree and learn Jesus. You're gonna learn that on your knees. You're gonna learn that in the word. This is not something you get just in books. This is about revelation. That's why he said to Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. Spirit revealed this to you. The church is not built on Peter and it's not built on Jesus. It's built on the act of revelation. Not just of understanding who Jesus is, but understanding who you are and understanding who the church is and understanding that word is not some bit of literature, but it's a living thing. Jesus name. And this is, this is so important to me because it is given to the priest, given to the church. And it's not by chance that this is where all the trouble began. Because when you read the compliment and the rebuke to the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2, they had done so many things really good. And then there's this word, nevertheless, I got something against you. What was the one thing God had against that first church? You left your first love. The fly in the ointment. They lost something. No, that's not what it says. It says they left something. They left love behind. It reminds me of what Paul said to the Galatian church. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. It's only what I learn of you. Receive ye the spirit by the works of the law, or by hearing of faith. Listen, are you so stupid? Having begun in the spirit that you now think you're gonna get perfect in flesh. It's the epitaph of Ephesus. You started in the spirit. Now, you think you can do it by yourself. We can have church without Jesus. Of course you can. Nice little music. <clears throat> Take up a couple bucks in the plate. 
preacher give you a little chicken soup sermon. Sermonettes make Christianettes. You got that? Strong meat belongeth to them who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. That's why I'm convinced these seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 line up perfectly with the seven parables that Jesus taught one right after the other in Matthew chapter 13. And the first parable aligns with the first church because the first parable was in the beginning that sower went forth to sow. And he told about how seed is the word and, and the ground is the world. And Jesus mentioned birds that would come down and steal the seed while it was lying on top of the ground. And he talked about the stony ground and he talked about the, the, the ground where the weeds grew alongside of it. Then there was good ground. When, when you study that early church and they began the work of sowing the gospel seed into the world, you can see how Satan did everything he could. See, Jesus told this parable. The sower went forth to sow. <clears throat> Some fell on the path. He said the birds came down, stole the seed and flew away. Some was on stony ground, couldn't get any depth. Some fell on, you know, thorns and weeds. It grew up and choked it. And some found some really good ground and grew some deep roots. Had a great harvest. Pharisees are going, what's this guy talking about? All of a sudden they leave and his disciples say, Jesus, what are you talking about? And he said, the seed's the word. And he said, the ground's the world. And he said, whenever the seed is sown or whenever the word is taught, then he said, then Satan cometh. When he gave his parable, he said it was the birds. That's what you've got to understand that in a church service, there is a dynamic in a church service that exists nowhere else. Things are funnier in church than they are anywhere else. Stuff happens to distract you. We got too many people in the halls of this church while church is going on. I don't use the God card to trump you very often. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, if I was Satan, everything at the bar is going according to plan. Everything in the dens and the dives of this dirty little city are going according. Where is the one thing in a city that has the potential to mess up his plans? It's a church. I'm telling you, Satan goes to church. I'm telling you, he'll do everything he can to distract you from hearing the word of the Lord. He'll come down there and steal that thing away before it finds some depth in your spirit. You got to guard against that. If you get too distracted sitting in the back, then get closer to the front. Amen. Harry Hoffman used to say, Harold, don't worry about building too big of a fire. There'll all be, always be enough wet blankets in the back to put it out. Don't sit in the back all the time. Get around the front. You sit in the back and you see everybody on their phone. You see everybody talking. If you can deal with that, fine. But if that distracts you from the word, move. Get to a place where you can let the word, the Bible said, be engrafted. There's got to be a cut that goes on. There's an incision that goes on. That word gets in the tracing place of your soul. And then there's stony ground, hard stuff. Then there's weeds. Get in the book of Acts. It's there, ladies and gentlemen. Satan did everything he could through the Pharisees and a, and a, a bunch of other vessels. He could to steal the word. There were the hard, rocky experiences of, of, of jails and prisons and not just rocky experiences. There were literal rocks that they threw at, at Stephen and they also threw at Paul at Lystra. There were the weeds like Simon the sorcerer. Read Acts 9 
And you will read that when Jesus met Paul on the Damascus road, he was struck blind. But when you study Acts 13, Paul met a man named Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus, but he was struck blind when he met the apostle Paul. And then there was the good ground. When you read Ezekiel chapter 47, it says that coming, he had a vision that coming out of the house of God, it started as a small stream. He, he, he said, I was wading in it and it was only up to my ankles. He said, I want a thousand cubits and it was up to my knees. I want a thousand more cubits and it was up to my waist, my loins. I went a thousand more and I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't touch bottom. This, this, that's why when you read, it's just loins, loins. That's reproductive parts. That's, that's where life comes from. I, 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 I found this this week, just Luke 16 and 22, just reminded of a great conversation I had with a wonderful man. It's just, the Bible said that when the beggar died, Lazarus died, he was carried into Abraham's bosom, bosom. And when you read that, Abraham's bosom, it was a place of death. But then there's another verse that I found. It's in John 1 and 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. Bosom of Abraham is a place of death, but the bosom of the spirit is a place of life. The bosom, the loins, the place where life comes from. No wonder the book of Acts begins in Acts chapter two. But go to the very next chapter and you will read how Luke described a man whose feet and ankle bones receive strength. That's Acts chapter two. Go to the very next chapter, amen, in Acts chapter four and read in Acts four and 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. You gotta understand, these are the same people who got the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter two. Same bunch. They keep getting it again and again and again. That's a by the Bible said in Titus, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. You've got to keep that gift stirred up inside of you. Did you get the Holy Ghost? Did you get it a week ago, a month ago, six months ago? Great. Don't let that thing become a sludge on the bottom of your soul. You've got to keep that thing stirred up. That's why the Bible said, stand up, lift up your eyes, lift up your hands, lift up your voice. Why? King of glory will come in. I want that gift to stay stirred up inside of me. If you want that thing suspended in the particles of your spirit, you gotta keep the Holy Ghost stirred up, man. When you don't feel like it, you gotta do it. You have to learn to act your way into feeling and not quit waiting on feelings. To, Feelings are low octane fuel, ladies and gentlemen. Feelings will lie to you. Amen. I remember we were building this building. I got up one morning and Renee said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I think everybody in the world hates me. I believe everybody hates me. It was a lie, but I felt that way. A couple of weeks ago, you're acting awful chipper today. Everybody loves me. Everybody doesn't love me and everybody doesn't hate me. When I was a kid, I always wanted to sleep in the woods. My dad bought me a sleeping bag when I was very young. I was going in the woods, sleep by myself. Going down by the river, by the creek, mountain on one side, creek on the other, skinny little trail. I'm halfway down the trail and I look and right behind me is, is the biggest bear I've ever seen in my whole life. Snot backed up in his eyeballs. Just goo dripping off his teeth. Scared me, slapped to death. I'm past him now. I can't go back the other way. So I took off running. I ran to the creek. I waded the creek and I built what Indians call white man's fire. Big, not that little thing, big thing all night long in my sleeping bag. Next day, I found my friends, Eddie and Jimmy Beston. I saw a bear last night. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Down by Porter's house across from your mother's house, down there where Butter Rick has his garden. Big old bear. You lying there. Bear won't be there, but his tracks will be there. Come on, I'll show you his tracks. And I took my two pals on the side of that hill 
There wasn't a leaf disturbed. There wasn't a track. But there was a big old elm tree. Amen. Big elm tree that some guy had cut and wind had broken off. And just enough shadow and just enough shade. It was a big old bear. There was no bear, ladies and gentlemen, but my fear was real. Feelings will lie to you. Feelings will lie to you. That voice that says, you're all alone. No one cares for you. The word says, I'm with you to the end of your world. I'm with you to the end. Nobody's gonna be able to help me now. He that has made the eye, can he not see? He that made the hand, can he not still reach? His arm is not shortened and it cannot save. You just gotta understand these voices. I've told you that before. There's two storms in the New Testament. Jesus said two things. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. And you're gonna be in a storm and I'm gonna be in a storm. And if we listen to any other voice than something that says he's with me and I don't need to be afraid, it's the wrong voice. Those feelings will lie to you. Those feelings will depress you. Do you know when more people commit suicide, what day of the year more people commit suicide than any other day of the year? Christmas Day. December 25th, more people commit suicide on Christmas. December 26th is day number two. January 1st is day number three. We are entering into a season right now where more people than ever before through this entire year are gonna feel neglected, abandoned, powerless, defeated. Gotta be there. Church has gotta be shining. We gotta do the best we can to let them know you're not alone. I'm with you, he's with you. We can do this, all things, all things. That's what the word says. Listen to it, listen to Ezekiel's prophecy. Ankles, knees, loins, and then you can't touch bottom. Acts chapter two, Holy Ghost is poured out. The water just starts coming out of the house. Acts chapter three, feet and ankle bones. Acts chapter four, they're on their knees praying and the place was shaken where they were all assembled together. Then you've got this. The next chapter is Acts chapter five. It's the last attempt at numbers and believers were added the more to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. It's here, ladies and gentlemen. I, 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 can, I can give you verses for it because it says in Acts chapter two that, that there was about 120. And then uh, uh, Acts 1 and 15, rather, it says the number and names together was about 120. The next number that's given to us is right after Acts 2.38. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized and that same day they were added about 3,000 souls. The next number is Acts chapter four. How be it many of them which heard the word believed and the number of the men was about 5,000. Watch what it's followed by. And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke the word of the Lord with boldness. This is the last attempt at numbers because watch what it says in five and 14. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men, do you get what I'm saying? First there's 120, then there's 3,120, then there's 8,120. By the time you get here, the count was lost. It's multitudes. I'm talking about that, it was to the ankles, then they were praying with the knees, and then the loins kick in, and you start getting into pre-production. You start getting into, into life. Remember what the river was, ankles, knees, loins, and then you can't touch bottom. Watch what follows this verse. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the street and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter by might overshadow some of them. And there came also a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits and he healed every one of them. Why? It's not enough to wait in ankles. I don't want to stay by the shore. The Bible said they that go down to the sea in ships and do business in great waters, these see his wonders in the deep. 
You don't catch big fish by the shore, ladies and gentlemen. And if all we want to do is wade in the spirit, that's not for me. If all you want to do is pray, that's not for me. I want to get to that place. You see, the further out you get, see, there's a place. As long as you're touching bottom, you're in control. But there is a place where your flesh can get detached from the dirt of this world. And all of a sudden, you're at the will and the whim of the current. And that thing will take you wherever wherever it wants to go. I'm grateful for the internet. I'm grateful for all these toys and all these gadgets we have here, but it's a cheap substitute for anointing and the miraculous and signs and wonders. You get people getting healed, renewed in the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, man, you don't need Facebook. People will just start talking. They brought the city there. Why? Because they got into a place of reproduction and the life of the spirit. The life of the spirit. Watch what follows. And the word of the Lord increased and the number of the disciples multiplied. First you got addition, the Lord added to the church such as should be. Now you're in the multiplication and a great company of priests obedient to the faith. That's people that aren't apostolic. Start seeing something virtue, what's going on. We have a man here, Monday night of prayer, just showed up out of nowhere. Never met the man in my life. He said, I've been watching you for three months. He said, three months ago, you did a message called the prodigal son. He said, I've given it to all my friends. He said, this Sunday, we were all gone to Columbus because I heard there was a Holy Ghost church in Columbus and we wanted a Holy, he said, so I just typed into my computer, is there a Holy Ghost church close to me? He said, the first one that popped up was First Church. He said, that's why I'm here in prayer meeting tonight. He said, I already sent something in this place. He said, my friends and I are sick and tired of normal, usual church. We want a Holy Ghost church. If we can build that, we'll all be here Sunday. That, 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 that's the way it ought to be. Yes. Read the, read, remember math? The, the, when it was, the end result of, of addition is called a, a sum. And the end result of multiplication is called a product. And the end result of division is called a quotient. But the end result of subtraction is a difference difference. We subtract ourselves from this world. Separate yourself from the world and unto him. There'll be a difference. There'll be a difference. There'll be a difference. What a way to start. Ephesus. Powerful. But they left love behind. And the next church is Smyrna. And the next parable was wheat and tares or wheat and weeds. And don't you ever doubt it, the tares can tear a church apart. So you read the ancient account in Joel 2 of the bugs, locust, canker worm, caterpillar, palmer worm. I've always thought that was four different bugs till I did my homework and I found out it's four stages of the same bug. It's the same devil, ladies and gentlemen. One eats leaves, one eats fruit, one eats buds, one eats bark. It's the same devil trying to destroy the church. But none of them bugs eat roots. The Bible said there's hope of a tree. Though the tender root thereof wax old in the earth, yet through the scent of water, it'll bud. It'll bud. Study. You're going to find that Smyrna was the beginning of the weeds being sown among the good seed. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Jesus is talking about hypocrites mingling tradition with the church. This is what happened after Peter's dead, Paul's dead, John's dead. They they said there's guys coming after us. Read Peter. Peter said we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I saw him. I saw him walk on water. (laughs) I saw him hail Jairus' daughter. I, I, I saw him grab that boy in that casket and I, I, I saw Lazarus come out. Of, I saw that. But you read the writings of Paul and Peter say, there's people coming after us who didn't see what we saw. 
And they would teach commandments of men like they were doctrines from God. This is what it says. Don't fear anything that you're going to suffer. If you have a strong stomach, find a copy of something known as Fox's Book of Martyrs. Not F-O-X, F-O-X-E. Fox's Book of Martyrs. And read what happened to the second century church. Read about what they suffered. Roman emperors bring pregnant women out in front of their husbands. Will you renounce Jesus Christ? No. They'd split their wives open and they would pour liquid tar on, on that unborn baby in her belly in front of their husband. All you had to do was say, I renounce Jesus Christ. It wasn't done. We're spoiled, ladies and gentlemen. I'm grateful for you faithful people, but I'm dealing with more junk right now than I think I've dealt with in years. And I just look at people and say, my God, you've been here all these years and you haven't figured it out yet. I preached till my belly button fell on the floor and you can't connect the dots. Going to have to stand in judgment against these people. Nero wrapped them in oily rags, still alive, used them as human torches to light his orgies that he had in his backyard. Satan realized persecution didn't work because the church grew during persecution. So he changed his tactics. And we come to church number three, mustard seed, Pergamus. Doesn't look like much, it's really small. But boy, did that thing grow. I found this in study. Jesus told John, Pergamos was the church at Satan's seat. Another translation says, it's where Satan's throne was. It was the center of not one, but four pagan cults. It boasted gorgeous and magnificent temples that were built to accommodate the idolatrous worship of the Greeks. Temples to Zeus, Athena, Dionysius, and the lesser known goddesses, Ecclesius. They lined the landscape, that city. It was a capital city and therefore obliged to serve its region as the blasphemous center of the worship of Caesar, who was considered God on the earth. It was a place where Satan's throne was. This is not just a place where Satan worked. It's a place where he had set up authority and power. In addition to those magnificent temples was the altar of Zeus. One of the wonders of the ancient world. It was excavated by the Germans in the 1800s. It was put in a museum in Berlin. Originally on it was a ledge jutting out from an acropolis on which the city was built. That altar was large, very ornate. At the time, it was the most famous altar in the world. 90 feet square, 40 feet tall. Its base was covered with deep carvings that depicted depicted horrible things, things that they had sold themselves out to. But if Jesus' words to John are to be believed, then right in Pergamos, <laughs> at the base of the very throne of Satan, was a blood-washed, name-bearing band of believers that had come to eye to eye with every evil thing and in spite of their age had managed for some of them to keep the faith and put a church on the threshold of Satan's seat. The weeds grew. But all of the good was not gone. 
I don't have time to go into this. Maybe we'll do it next week. Bible said there will always be a recobite. I was just a kid traveling with my dad. They asked my dad to preach in a church. Greenville, Greenfield, Indiana. I was just a kid, but I still remember my dad preaching. There will always be a recobite. Next week, I'll try and explain to you what that means. Now you're into Thyatira. The leaven is everywhere. The little bit of leaven has leavened the whole lump. Greatest book-burning institution the world ever knew was people that called themselves the church. All of a sudden, they don't have presbyters anymore. They got popes and cardinals. Baptizing babies, they're afraid they're going to drown, so they begin to sprinkle them. They have debates. Was Jesus all man or was he all God? And Athanasius won the debate. He's all God. Well, if Jesus was all God and Mary gave birth to him, then Mary's the mother of God. And why go to the boy? We need to go to mom first. By the time you get to the fifth century, to the fifth church, to Sardis, where Jesus talked about that, that treasure that was hid in the field. All of a sudden, things are changing. A Catholic priest by the name of Martin Luther, who was teaching in one of their seminaries on the book of Romans, read in the book of Romans, you're justified by faith, not by the balance that's in your checking account. He nailed 94 things on the door of his home church in Wittenberg, Germany. 94 things where the church was teaching things that weren't in the Bible. Martin Luther would be on the FBI's most wanted list for the rest of his life. They tried to kill him for the rest of his life. But things began to change, ladies and gentlemen. He was right that you're justified by faith. And then all of a sudden, people showed up and said, how come you got popes and cardinals? We had a man used to visit our house, very wonderful man, very, very devout Catholic man. David always, always picketed the abortion clinics. Every winter would gather coats to give to homeless people downtown. Opened up his home. This is, this is not a poor guy. He's quite wealthy. Opened up his home. Would buy, would get motel rooms for people on the street when it was really cold. Just had a great heart. He keeps coming to our house again and again. And I finally asked him, I said, David, what's going on here? You keep coming back to this house. It's like you're making excuses to come to my house. I'm glad you're here, but why do you keep coming to our house? And he said, Pastor Hoffman, all my life, all I've ever heard about is the Pope and the saints. But when I come to your house, all I hear about is Jesus and the Bible. And he said, I'll be honest with you. I don't know anything about Jesus and I don't know anything about the Bible. All I know is the Pope and the saints. That's when leaven gets in the thing, ladies and gentlemen. And the whole thing screwed up. But Luther was right. And Knox was right. Who said we need presbyters and pastors so you have the Presbyterian church. And then the Baptists show up John Smith says, there's nobody sprinkled in the Bible. Baptism is burial, dipped, immersed. They said he was a heretic, so he starts a church called the Baptist Church. And then the Wesley boys show up with, you need a method for salvation. They were heretics. So they started a church called the Methodist Church. And then all of a sudden, it's the turn of the century Holy Ghost is poured out in a place called Stone's Folly, which used to be a whorehouse in Topeka, Kansas. They turned it into a Bible school. They had 23 students. History says that the leader of that Bible school told every one of them, don't talk to one another. I want you to go home for your Christmas break. I want you to study Acts 1 and Acts 2 
And when you come back, I want to know if you believe we can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking with tongues today. When they came back, all 23, without talking to one another, agreed. It was biblical for us to be filled with the Spirit and speak with tongues today. So they began to pray. And on New Year's night, 1900, the notes are of a little lady by the name of Agnes Osman who began to speak with tongues. It went to Galveston, Texas, went to a little place called Alvin, Texas, and then morphed and ended up in Los Angeles in a place called Azusa Street, which used to be a place where they used to make grave markers. Sovereign move of the Holy Ghost. People came from all over the world. Years ago, we had a wonderful man preach here. His name is David Gray. He's been dead many years now. He was well into his 80s the last time he was here. But he spoke for three hours without a note. It just flowed out of him. I asked him, how did you ever get into church? He said, my mother and dad were missionaries to Shanghai. And he said, at the turn of the century, my mom and dad were walking down the street in Shanghai and a piece of paper blew across the sidewalk. My mom reached down and picked it up and it told about a great move of the spirit that was happening on Azusa Street in Los Angeles. He said, it so moved my mom and my dad that they literally got on a boat and left Shanghai and went to Los Angeles and the Lord filled them with his spirit. And he talked about all the things that happened in the family since then. I wish I had my phone with me. I have a friend by the name of Stan Gleason. He told me about his grandfather, Turner, who at the turn, right in the middle of the depression, got a call from a barrister, which is a, an English name for a lawyer. He told Turner Gleason, we've been looking for you for many, many months. You're the only surviving member of this household. There are $3 million here. There's an ancestral home with over 80 acres. The catch is you have to move to London and live in the ancestral house for one year. If you live in that house for one year, (laughs) you get all the money in the accounts. Plus, you can sell the land and the home and move back to America. But you have to live here for one year. No internet. Did it with telegrams. Turner Gleason did everything he could to find a good church that was close to that house. He could not find one. So he called the barrister and said, give it to somebody else. I'm not moving my family out of California. I don't care how much money you're worth. To date now, there's 151 people in Gleason's home. Kids, grandkids, nieces and nephews that are either pastors or pastor's wives or missionaries or involved in the kingdom somewhere because of an old man in the middle of the depression who refused to take three million bucks and all he had to do was move to England for a year. I don't know if I could handle that pressure. Could you? Could you? But he did it. He did it. Because the sixth church is Philadelphia. This is when Jesus talked about the pearl of great price. I got I have to hush I want you to understand something. Martin Luther was right and he was wrong because Luther's revelation of justification by faith was right, but he put a fence around it. And if you weren't a Lutheran, then you were going to hell. And then the Baptists showed up and they were right because you do need to be baptized by immersion. And then the Methodists showed up. Then the Presbyterians showed up and then the Pentecostals showed up. But the problem with every one of these denominations, I'm going to teach you next week about the lampstand, and how that oil flowed through all seven of those lights. I'm telling you, those seven lights are the seven churches, the seven seasons that the church would go through, and how that fire would come off the altar, and you would light lamp, not candle, lampstand. That oil flowed through those things. You lit lamp one, and you used that light to light 
lamp two, and you use lamp two to light lamp three, four, five, six, seven. I'm telling you, wait, wait, here's, here's the problem. See, I wish, boy, I'm getting ahead of myself. But in John 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Okay? Now, now if Jesus is grapes and he's the vine and we're the branches, we're going to have grapes. You got it? Vine, branches. Branches get their life from the vine, same fruit. Here's what I see going on in church. You got all these things that have been grafted into the vine. You got oranges, you got bananas, you got apples, you got cherries, you got Methodist cherries, you have Baptist oranges, you have Catholic this, you have Presbyterian that, you have Pentecostal this. If I read that Bible right, there shouldn't be seven different kinds of fruit in this thing. That oil should flow from one season to the next. That, that oil that lit that original church in Acts ought to be the same oil that ought to be burning in church today. Doesn't that make sense to you? But what I see is just an awful lot of stuff that's been grafted in and didn't get its life from the original, the original stem. The argument has not changed, ladies and gentlemen. There have been people that always said, when the Son of Man returns, will we find faith. The love of many will wax cold. There'll be a great falling away. On the other hand, there's a group of people that said the glory of the latter house will be greater than that of the former. I believe it exists in the church today. I believe there are people. I, I read something years ago. It said it's possible that the optimists and the pessimists will arrive at the same destination in the end but only the optimist is going to enjoy the trip. I know some Holy Ghost filled people that are just as negative as you can imagine. I do believe they'll be saved, but man, they, they're having a hard time living for God right now. Joy of the Lord is our strength. Therefore with joy shall we draw water out of the well of salvation. That's what the Bible says. Jesus name. Stand with me. Ladies and gentlemen, Laodicea is a really ugly time in the season of the church. It's where we are today. However, if you read the seventh church in Revelation 3 and compare it to the seventh parable that Jesus gave in Matthew 13, this is what he said was going to happen in the end. I'm going to throw out a net. I'm going to throw out a net. I'm not talking fishing pole. I, I, I used to go to Canada and fish. We caught two fish, walleye, pike. Walleye, pike, walleye, pike. You ever fish with a net? My dad one time, we, we didn't have anything to fish with. He said, come on, we're gonna go catch helgramites. I said, what in the world's a helgramite? He said, just come with me. He got a little bit of net, and got a couple limbs, and stuck me in these rapids. I held these two sticks that went out and had this net behind me. He said, now step on it and don't let anything get underneath the net. And he got in front of me and lifted up these heavy rocks in, these, in the white water. And he's rubbing on the bottom of them rocks, kicking around. Another one, another one. Just after 15, 20 minutes, he said, okay, let's see what we got. And we held up that net. We had leaves, crabs, old rusty junk, throw away the leaves, all of a sudden, there was these black things with these two big old pinchers on their head. He said, there's one right there. He grabbed that dude. Look, oh, it looked like a demon, man. You should have seen that thing. Helgramite, great bass lure. That's what happens when you throw out the gospel net. You're, you're going to get leaves. You're going to get suckers. You're going to get carp. You're going to get electric eels. You're going to get boots. You're going to get old rusty cans. But every now and then, you're going to get some good ground. And you're going to find somebody that really, really is serious about serving the Lord. That's where we are right now, ladies and gentlemen. The gospel net is being thrown into the world. Jesus Christ is trying to gather up any possible thing he can find that's been clinging to the rocks and been hanging out in the mud, trying somehow to get it in the church. And that's what we're going to keep on doing week after week, Monday after Monday, Sunday after Sunday, Bible class, life group after life group. I'm not talking this. I'm not talking catching one fish at a time. 
I'm talking about having church and, and, and Sunday you get five leaves and, and two boots. And, and, and then the next Sunday, you know, you got some cans. And, and, but all of a sudden on the third Sunday, you go, Helgramites. Helgramites. That's what we're doing. We're just doing everything we can to just pull up stuff, rub on the bottom of it, get out in the white water and get as many people. I believe the gospel net is being dropped in the world right now. I believe God's going to drag it. I think there's backsliders. I think there's people. I, I talked to somebody yesterday. You forgive me if you're listening to this right now. I said, Christmas is coming. Yes, sir. I said, I'll tell you what I want for Christmas. I want you in the church. I want you to make a commitment to me that in 2023, you'll be in the church and we'll serve the Lord together next year. That's what I want. I said this so many times, I'm 65. I said it's a midlife crisis. Well, I'm way past midlife. I'm not gonna live to be 130. People in midlife get a red sports car, get them a girlfriend. I don't want a red sports car. I don't want a Harley Davidson. I'm not despairing any of you that have a Harley Davidson. I sure don't need a blonde 20-year-old girlfriend. I want a harvest. That's what I want to see before I die. I want to see a legitimate, spirit-inspired, spirit-filled, the net. So full it's breaking. When did you ever, I got this hush. Bible says that net broke and they called other people. You got to, they called other boats. I'd like to have a harvest so big that we have to call other Pentecostal churches and say, we got 20 people here we can't teach Bible studies to. We got too many fish in our net. No church has ever told me that. I don't know if a church has ever done that. I'd like to see that happen. That our nets, Jesus said, cast your nets, plural. Bible said they cast their net. That's the problem. They should have thrown everything they had in the water, but they only had faith for one net. Let's throw our nets into the water right now, ladies and gentlemen. It's Christmas time. Christmas time. Amen. Not just spending money for people that don't really like you and going in debt. Minister to people right now, will you? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. The meteorologist told me a storm's coming. They said it's coming in tomorrow. Wind's going to blow. Rain's coming. Snow's coming. Cold's coming. They say they can see this on their radars and see this with their satellites. Your word says, I hear a sound rustling in the mulberries. Holy God, I'd like us to be Holy Ghost meteorologists. I'd like us to be able to send in the spirit. There's a great move of something coming here. Fixing to blow in here real soon. In the same way my shovel's ready and my salt's ready and my, wind and my snowblower's ready, I want to be ready in this church right now, Lord. I want us to be prepared. You said you wouldn't put more on us than we can bear. And we've always said that meant bad stuff, but it also means you're not giving us more babies than we can take care of. But we need to bear something, give birth to something. And I'm asking you, God, right now, these precious people that have come to Bible study here tonight, open up the eyes of our understanding that we would understand the hope of your calling and the glory of the riches of your inheritance in the saints. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for coming.